What is up? Happy Friday! It's Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks Insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650! 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Here at the home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650, Drancer. What's up? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Good night out at Rogers Arena last night. Very much so. There's been a lot of those this year. There have been, yeah. Canucks played well. Canucks played well in the first Ceremony was nice. Touching Luongo's speech killed it. Mm-hmm. No I surprise there. Corey Schneider killed it. Awesome. Understated work as an MC. Loved that. Um, yeah, I, I loved the BXA video. The pocket aces line. It couldn't help but get your hair stand up on edge. Body hair, not not ha- actual hair, since <laughs> I don't have any. <laughs> I don't. I think people always mean. Like the hair on their arm when they say that. I don't think they, they do. mean the hair, hair on their head. <laughs> yeah. No, I think they mean cats. You know, cats, yes, like yes. Bristle. Anyway, um, I still think they got it wrong. And and for me, honestly, I couldn't really get over it. I, uh, yeah, it, I know. It just, the ceremony was, you know, if you wanted to be tactful, you could say like, it was a minimalistic ceremony. But if you wanted to be honest, it was small. It was an event that made the organization look small. And, and it minimized, diminished, uh, you know, I, I think, the way that, you know, our shared memory, our shared memories of a golden era of franchise history, the, the greatest sporting win in the history of this city, which happened in that building, like, mm-hmm. it, it, it diminished that, even while it did nothing to diminish Luongo himself, uh, you know, given his impeccable credentials and, and his deep connection to the, to the fans in the city, you know, it, it just should have been a bigger party. But the organization's sort of failure to officially recognize that, I, I look, it cast a, it cast a shadow over the over what should have been a great evening, what still was a great evening, yeah. Um, but was a great evening with a with an important reservation that you know I outlined at length in a column at the Athletic. You can go read it, but which I truly believe, I'm you know this isn't wet blanket time. This is just I think the organization got it wrong, and and I think it, you know, minimized a, a, a great night was. Um, was like a shadow cast on a, on a great evening. For me, the thing that really stands out to me is there's been a lot over the last like five or six years. There have been a lot of opportunities to remember and celebrate people connected with the 2011 team, right? From Alex Burroughs going into the Ring of Honor, uh, Kevin Bieksa retiring as a Canuck, right? The Sedins going into the uh, to the Hall of Fame, and of course retiring and. You know, it really never gets old. <laughs> it really never gets old. Like, it's always fun to hear BXA talk about Luongo or BXA talk about the Sedins, right? It's always fun to hear those memories and see those personalities together and hear uh, how much respect they have for each other and how fondly they look back on that time as well. And look, again, as I said yesterday on the show, if it was up to me, it would have been the jersey going into the rafters. But as I said, still... Always a pleasure to see those personalities get a chance to interact and uh, and be a part of remembering that era of Canucks hockey. Okay, 
Before we get into the whiteboard for today, I do have to tell everyone else, this is an exciting day. It's one of my favorite days of the year. It is Food Bank Friday here at the station. We are partnering with the Greater Vancouver Food Bank, as we do every year around this time, as well as our our sister stations uh, at News 1130 uh, and Jack as well. Last year, we raised $81,000 for the food bank. This year, our goal is $100,000. We're already more than halfway there. But we need your help to get all the way there. There are two ways to donate, okay? You can visit the events page at sportsnet.ca slash 650. You can donate there using a secure Greater Vancouver Food Bank portal. Or, in my, in my uh, opinion, this is the more fun way to donate. You can donate by emoji. Text to 30333. Again, 30333. A carrot will donate $5. A banana, $10. A heart, $25. Again, that's 30333. 333 is where you text the emojis. Uh, The Greater Vancouver Food Bank uses your donations to distribute healthy, nutritious food to people in need. The GVFB has a buying power of two to one. That means your donation is going to go twice as far. And for Food Bank Friday here, we have two anonymous donors matching donations dollar to dollar for our first 50,000. So when you add that with the buying power of the food bank, that means you're really getting a four to one buying power for your donations right now. Food Bank supports more than 16,000 people monthly across Vancouver, Burnaby, New West, and the North Shore. Uh, And of course, at this time of year, they need donations. So do what you can if you are able to help at this time of year. Again, it's the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. It's Food Bank Friday. You can go to our website on the events page, or you can text an emoji to 30333. And we will keep you updated on those fundraising numbers Uh, as the show continues. But first, let's do the whiteboard here. All right now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? All right, it is the whiteboard, your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks for today, December 15th. And uh, we'll start with the headlines. Canucks beat the Panthers 4-0 at Rogers Arena. They wrap up this homestand which I think we rightfully put a spotlight on, winning four games in a road, Rancer. Now they go out on the road in a very, very comfortable position in the standings after that 4 nothing win last night. Fifth by point percentage. First by PDO, maybe ever. It's actually amazing, though. Like, I'm not even saying this. It's fun to watch a trapeze artist defy gravity, but fundamentally, last night was not a PDO game. Um... There were bounces, Matthew Kachuk missing uh, an empty net, and then shortly thereafter, Sergei Bobrovsky with a sick tape to pay- tape feed to Dakota Joshua. Incredible. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. To think, remember the Bobrovsky conversations that were driving me batty in April and May? Can we just, like, take a sec? The Bobrovsky ones? Oh, yeah. I was, Woo. like, losing my mind over, like, the rehabilitation of, like, the Bobrovsky contract not looking so bad now, is it? It's like, yeah, it is. It's terrible. What are you talking about? Um, clearly the weak point on, on a Panthers team that didn't play very well, but the Canucks did. Like, And can I just say, the Canucks were owed a Bobrovsky goof goal at some point this year. After the performance he put in in Florida, which didn't give them any goals, but was really well, bizarre. But he wasn't in the net for the game winner in that game. Uh, yeah. He still had a Bobrovsky puck but handling they, adventure. They were re- he he was owed. The Canucks were owed something from Bobrovsky. Yeah, I mean, he was playing right. with fire. He, he 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 was in like should have given up five goals against form for sure. Yeah. Um. 
Anyway, you know, maybe he should be a playmaking center because that was a sick feed <laughs> to Joshua. But look, Canucks get Pew Suter back. And all of a sudden, we see, honestly, for only the second time this year, because Pew Suter got hurt in Teddy Bluger's first game back in Montreal in November. So we really haven't seen much of the Canucks icing this lineup that rolls Pedersen Miller, Bluger, Suter down the middle of the of their forward ranks, you know, prior to last night. And, and we finally see it. And, oh, boy, I, I am hungry for more of that, Jamie. Like, I, I am into that. Uh, bottom six carried the game like they carried the mustard they got the ice time too. Rick Tockett quick to recognize it you know Connor Garland helps create the Kuzmenko yep. goal nice to see Kuzmenko get a five on five goal but also his second goal in in two games right after he became you know a relatively popular goat in this market right the blamed for all the winning the Canucks are doing no but you know the, the like the subject of scrutiny despite the team's success he'd become that now he's sort of answered it with two goals in two consecutive games, you like to see it. And then Dakota Joshua gets two, the first of which was far more difficult. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> well, he had to create that one. It wasn't just like a sick feed from an <laughs> iconic playmaker. Great below-the-goal-line playmaking from Sergei Bobrovsky. <laughs> but, but you get, you, yeah, great down-low passing. Yeah. Um, no, but you get out of the first period up to nothing, and it's the it's the bottom six that did it. Like, really, it was. And, and that's been sort of... My big takeaway, honestly, from this series of wins that the Canucks have racked up against, you know, very solid teams at home, um, is the the depth. Like, yeah. you think about the Wild coming into town and actually, like, the Kaprizov line, actually, the Kaprizov line kind of actually won the matchup against the Miller line. Uh, Braden Point and Kucherov looked dangerous, but when they weren't on the ice, Tampa Bay looked toothless. Um, you know, Carolina came in and the Ajo line did damage, but... And the Carolina Hurricanes played like themselves for about like seven minutes of the game. But for the most part, you know, certainly when like the Jordan Martin nuke lines on, they don't look like they're as dangerous as the Canucks fourth line does with Kuzmenko and mm-hmm. Hugh Suter at the moment. And, and you know, Garland's been a buzzsaw. He's look, we're at the we're at the point where Garland is frankly and flat out this team's most important and effective five on five player, period. Full stop. Okay. It's true. Like, I, but, I don't know like, what, else what you're to projecting say. going forward because he's not a better five-on-five player than Elias Pettersson. No, he's not. Is he having better results he, right now? Yes. Is he? Is, no, no, no. He's not even having better results. It's Pettersson, Pettersson versus Garland over the course of the season. Who do I take as a better five-on-five driver overall on true talent? I'm, yeah, I'm going to guess it's Elias Pettersson. Um, and Quinn Hughes too. But for this team this season. Connor Garland has been the most consistent, reliable, and important five-on-five engine on the roster, period, full stop. That's He's been true. their most consistent. He's been their most consistent, for sure. And and by far their most effective. Like, at five-on-five, you need a guy to tilt the ice. You need a guy to outscore your opponent without getting a, a single bounce either way. Connor Garland's your guy. He doesn't, he, he doesn't need your goaltender to outperform their goaltender. He doesn't need any finishing luck. Like, wind him up, watch him go, you will control play. And you, will outs- and you will create an environment where you're more likely to get the next goal. He does that better than any single Canucks skater, period. He was the best player on the ice last night. The bottom six one line, uh, or the bottom six point, I think is really important because, you know, Pew Suter comes back. And look, the bottom six was already playing really well. But all of a sudden, with the way Teddy Bluger has seamlessly stepped in to the Garland-Joshua line, and now you bring Pew Suter, and all of a sudden you have Pew Suter and Andre Kuzmenko on your fourth line, 
And it just looked really, really dangerous, that bottom six as a whole, for the whole night. And you really think about it, and when was the last time a team has played, or the Canucks have played a team and the other teams looked like the deeper team? You know what I mean? Like, you're seeing this advantage play out almost every night at the bottom end of the roster. And I think, especially now with the strength down the middle, where you have two bottom six centers that I think the coach trusts, the coach really appreciates their game. You know, you saw it last night where he could he could reduce JT Miller's minutes. And, and, you know, Miller was critical of his performance after the game, but all of a sudden you have these options where, okay, hey, maybe it's not quite clicking with Miller or, you know, Pedersen, it's Sam Lafferty and Ilya McKayev. Is that line really clicking? Not necessarily. You have all these other options to go to, and I think it's going to be a real strength of this team. And I also think... Look, everything the, the the way the lineup was set up last night, it worked well. It was effective. They're winning. There's no need to go away from it. But one with Pew Suter back in the lineup, because don't forget Sam Lafferty can play center as well. I think you've got a lot of options. So if you do hit a bump in the road here, you know, two game losing streak, three game losing streak, anything like that. I think not only is this a really deep forward group, but it's a versatile forward group. And I think there's different things you could try out. If that becomes a, a situation where you need to get the team going again. Yeah, I, the thing is, is I think it's versatile down lineup. You know, it's sort of an interesting thing where I don't know that there's a ton of top of the lineup versatility at the moment anyway. I mean, if you were ever willing to move JT Miller to the wing. Yeah. You know what I mean? If Well, if you do that, it opens up a whole host of options. Right. So and I think that I suppose that's true. I think that is a realistic option. Not not like maybe option number one. But I think it could be a realistic option with Pew Suter back, right? Yep. And, I'm, you, well, it, and I'm here for it. You know what? And like, look, Pew Suter was on the fourth line. You really love him in that spot. If all of a sudden he's in a, a middle six role, you know, his top six, second line center, maybe that's not as great. But I think you're at least in a position where, again, even at the top of the lineup, you have the choice. If you wanted, if you wanted to explore the lotto line or something like that, right? You have options now where you could look at it in a way you didn't before Pew Suter came back into the lineup. Yeah, you know, and honestly, I don't think I don't think you're I don't think you're hooped by any means if you're casting Pew Suter as a second line center. Honestly, I think he's a I think he's a bona fide middle six center. Well, especially like, you know, let, so let's just say theoretically and we'll, we'll get back into the whiteboard stuff yeah. here in a second. But let's say theoretically, you were going lotto line at the top of the lineup, you know, you could go Pew Suter with Ilya Mikheyev, right? So at the very least you're not you're not worried about that uh, that line's defensive responsibility. I think there's things you can do. You know, do you go like Pew Suter and Ilya McCabe and Andre Kuzmenko and, and hope to get some offense out of a unit, right? Like, there's things you can do to kind of assemble lines that make sense in all four slots, even if you decided to move JT Miller to the wing at some point. And look, he's playing well right now, so I'm not saying they have to do that. But I think it's just a really, really good spot for the coaching staff to be at right by, now. By the way, lots of negative feedback stemming in from our commentary about Luongo's ceremony. I want you to know, if you think I'm wrong, that everyone else disagrees with you. The vast majority of Canucks fans. Go look at the feedback on every social post that Canucks posted over the course of the past two weeks. Everyone, retire one, retire one, retire one, retire one. Like, this guy's legacy in this market's secured. If, if you think I'm being negative and I'm the only one... I, I'm telling you right now, the, the majority opinion among Canucks fans in every online space you'll find was that they should have retired one. What, just want you to know that. What did you make of JT Miller's commentary on his own performance well, after the game? I actually thought the most interesting part of it was Rick Tockett's commentary after the fact, which was that Miller's been on the coaches about his defensive game, trying hmm. to improve his defensive game. 
to me, that suggests strongly that JT Miller's deeply self-aware and super smart about hockey. Shocker. We all knew this. But, you know what? We've been talking about it a lot. Like, one of this this team's off to a 29-1 and start. They're playing great hockey. There's no question about it. There are things that I believe in about this team, and there are things that I'm a little bit concerned about, and we can get into that in one of the later segments. But, like, number one, all season, even as this team's racked up wins or gone through a month of inconsistency, you know, they don't profile like an elite team in terms of the way they control play at the top of the lineup. That's, like, line item one, things I'm concerned about. They, they tend to give up a little bit too much. And, like, JT Miller knows. JT Miller knows that Jack Hughes came into town and chased him from that matchup. JT Miller knows that J- Jack Eichel came right. to town and chased him from that matchup. JT Miller wants to be a number one center, matchup guy, lockdown guy, winning those matchups. And if he hasn't, if he's not winning those matchups, and he hasn't been for not, not frequently enough this season, even though he's got this positive goal differential, even though the Canucks are outscoring their opposition in those minutes – you know, Miller's a smart enough guy to know on form we're giving up too many great A's. Like Barkov, they shut them out, and he's like the Barkov line generated too much. I, that's just a smart hockey player with high standards for himself, trying to get better, and that's good because he's right. Like what he's seeing is right. Um, the Canucks do need more in terms of a push and in terms of territorial control at the top of their lineup if they're going to maintain. Uh, the sparkling form that they've gotten off to in the first 30 games. That's not criticism. That's what one of their best players himself thinks. And, and that's great. That's good because he's right. And for me, when I bring up the Miller line and Torgy texted, why would you move Miller to wing? It's working. He's a horse. It's not even so much about his performance at center. It's more that I just think the best trio the Canucks can put out is the lotto line. And if you're in a position where you have the other things on the roster that allows you to put your best trio together, I think it's worth exploring. Like it's, it says it's much more about the ceiling. I think that those three players have together and that we've seen in the past than it is about any of them struggling in other situations right now. Of course, Brock Bester scoring Miller's doing the job. I know it hasn't always looked great in those really tough matchups, but it's still like I've still overall been impressed with what he's done at center. I just think the ceiling of the lotto line is so incredibly high uh, that I would be interested to see it again or very, very excited to see it again. Uh, Let's put it that way. All right. I don't think there's anything in the broadsheet really to get into today. Rumors, reports, they're, they're looking for a top four defenseman, but it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) They're working the phones, working the phones. Yep. Um, Hard cap. Do you hear the hard cap makes it difficult? It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Difficult. Uh, Lineup notes. This is an interesting one. So the team's traveling today. They're going out on the road. And I think it was you. Canucks fans, do you think that Inbox is trying to trigger me today? Bo was the problem, says someone in all caps. Say it. Say it. You want the truth? Can't handle the truth. No, 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 no. But he put the slash S. Oh, so that means he's trolling me? That's sarcastic. Okay, thank goodness. (laughs) So, yes, in that case, I do think he's trying to trigger you. Okay, well, well, well done. Well done. And it succeeded. It succeeded so hard. I was just like, man, why? Why must we get so unhinged when the Canucks play well? Why? Um, lineup notes. I think it was you who asked talk. It made the point. They're going out on the road now. They have an open spot on the roster. I'm going to be very curious to see. And talk. It was pretty open, right, about the fact that, yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're probably ideally we would like to call somebody up. And I think it's going to be interesting, interesting to see who gets rewarded from Abbotsford with uh, the chance to go out on the road trip with the, with the team here. Yeah, I'd imagine a defenseman. I'd imagine a defenseman. So. And, you know, this might be my bias from working for a small, smaller market organization. But I know that 
during my time with the Panthers, we would have probably tried to call up someone on a one-way contract. Like, if you call up Jack Stanika, his right. salary doesn't change. If you call up somebody on a two-way, <laughs> you're, you're giving them a boost on the next pay period. Costs you more on your budget. So, but I, I would think they'd prefer a defenseman. Right, you, you ideally you want eight defensemen because you are going to some far flung spots, few time zones away. The Canucks are going to be in Arizona. Uh, the Abbotsford Canucks are going to be in Arizona. Um, you know, I don't know that you want to like have a guy wake up in Tucson and have to get to, I guess, I guess Arizona to Chicago is not that annoying. But still, if you need a guy in the second leg of a back to back, I think you'd prefer to have them with you on hand, practicing with the team, getting acclimated. You know, I'd sort of look at Irwin, Hirose, McWard, that Mm. crew, uh, especially because um, Irwin would have relatively recently cleared, right? So you you can sort of bring him up and down relatively quickly. Um, So, yeah, I would think, uh, reading between the lines, I thought Talkit intimated that a call-up was more likely than not before the club goes on the road. Yeah, I think there we'll see it. We'll uh, if that happens today, and we see the the roster announcement uh, from the Canucks, we'll let you know who's coming up to join the team. But in terms of looking ahead to you know who they're going to ice tomorrow against Minnesota, and yeah, it is an early start. I don't think you're changing. Anything, I don't think you're right? changing anything. So I think you know we're not seeing any lineup combinations. We're not hearing from anybody today. Uh, but going into that game against Minnesota, with the way the team is playing, and specifically the way the bottom six was clicking with Pew Suter back in the mix last night. Uh, I would be very, very surprised if you see any changes, barring injury or anything like that. Yeah, as of 22 minutes ago, as of uh, 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon Pacific, the Canucks had not called up a player. All right, there you go. Uh, Playoff forecast. So the Canucks are at the point right now where they're such incredible favorites per Dom's model to make the the playoffs that even winning doesn't really change things much, right? Because it's just like, yeah, you are already in a great spot. Hey, you win another game. You're still in a really, really good spot. So they win last night against a non-conference team. They're still at a 95% chance to make the playoffs. Now projected to finish with 103 points on the season. And, you know, even you look at the, you know, to win the division and finish second or finish third, not a whole lot of movement uh, there even after the win last night. 14% chance to win the division. So, again, this is kind of like there's going to be some stasis here on the playoff forecast, I think for the Canucks, right? Because they've just they've built they've, themselves such a cushion. They're like it's overwhelmingly gonna be, likely to make it. It's going to be hard to move the odds in either direction that much. There's only so much higher you can go from 95, and it's going to take a lot for them to fall down significantly, you're, too. You're going to be like the Family Guy weatherman with the playoff forecast. Like, it's going to rain. They're going to make yeah, it. Yeah, they're going to make the playoffs. Playoff forecast, it's happening. <laughs> well, and soon it's going to – I think when we get a little farther into the season, it'll start to be about – what's the most likely matchup, right, and what the other teams are doing. And I think we're a little far out to start forecasting that right now, right, especially with the way things are bunched. And especially with the way Edmonton is pushed. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, we need to to see a little bit more, right? And then, you know, you've got the fact that the Pacific Division at the top, including Vancouver, is kind of like running away from the central. You know what I mean? So that you get to a point where, like, you lock in the seventh team – the second wild card or the first wild card into playing the central team. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's that feels overwhelmingly likely to be the fourth place team in the Pacific. Yes. And that's sort of the one thing that I'm that I'm that I'm watching and interested like in the playoff forecast in Dom's model. Do you have the page up right yep, now? Yep, I do. What are Vancouver's chances of finishing fourth? What are Edmonton's chances of finishing third? So Vancouver has a 21% chance of finishing fourth in division. The, the Oilers have a 25% chance of finishing third. So effectively correlated. Yeah. A one in four shot. Now, yeah. not 
the likeliest thing, but one in four is also not something we never see. Yeah, you know, oh, one, no, for sure. One one in four is um, you know more likely than rolling a dice and the number comes up one or whatever. So that that's sort of I think where our attention should be is like, can Edmonton close quickly enough? Can Vancouver maintain a good enough clip to avoid slipping into that seventh spot? Because you don't want to slip into that seventh spot and face the ass. But right? I think, that's that's the thing well, you want to avoid. <laughs> sure, but, but I mean, you also don't want to stay in the third spot and face the Kings. That's the thing, or in the second spot and yeah. face the Kings or the Golden Knights, right? Like it's tough. I, I don't see with the way the Pacific has broken and the fact that really you need to win the Pacific. <laughs> yeah, like if you want a the prize, if you want a non daunting first round matchup, you pretty much have to win the Pacific. Yeah, because otherwise you're looking at. Vegas, L.A., Edmonton, or Colorado. What are their odds? Uh, odds per Dom's model to win, win the, the division? Fourteen percent. Yikes! So that like if you're if you're looking at a stretch goal, hey, you know <laughs> for what? this team, that's a good one to start focusing on right now. Not ideal, but we would have taken fourteen percent in mid mid December at the start of the I year. I would say so. I would say so. Yeah. No kidding. Um, okay, and then the gambling odds. The Canucks line for Saturday's game has not yet posted. The club, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see the division odds in particular now that we've talked about them there. The Canucks are currently plus 300 to win the division. So they've sort of vacillated between plus 300 or three to one and three and a half to one over the course of the past week. Interestingly, Vegas, you know, uh, the, the Kings have kind of faded mm-hmm. a little bit. They've mm-hmm. lost two games this week. They're now plus 275 and the King and the Vegas Golden Knights are minus 145. That's way too much respect. That's way too much respect. Good value on the Kings at the moment, I would say. Um, but yeah, the fact is is that the Canucks remain betting favorites in the futures markets for the Jack Adams and the Vesna. <laughs> they have two guys in the top ten for the Hart. Um, <laughs> they're they have roughly the same odds of winning the Pacific as the L.A. Kings. It's a snow it's day. It's going well. It's a snow day. Things it's, it's going well. Things are very good. Let's try to enjoy it. And let's also try to enjoy it while accepting that some critical conversation about the team is not uh, is not toxic, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, Dom, producer Dom is not even in studio. He just texted us, "Go to break." Dom, why are you even listening to the show? <laughs> Isn't it your day off? Hey, what hey, are you doing, Dom? Come Dom, to work. Dom, I told them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't blame Ben. He's trying to get us to do it, but he I is. don't care. But I'm gonna I'm gonna keep talking for a little bit, especially just, now, just to spite everyone. Especially now, Dom. Um, all right, hey We're, Dom, we don't know how. <laughs> I'm staying on air forever. I'm not leaving. I'm not breaking. Uh, no, I do want to take a break. Uh, we will uh, <laughs> we will go to break. Up next, I want to talk about. So this is I want to revisit something we were talking about earlier in the year, right? Which is what this team's mo should be if the good times keep rolling. And guess what? The good times have kept rolling. So how should this team approach? The rest of the year, how should they be looking at this roster? What should they be trying to do to improve the team between now and the trade deadline? I want to roll out my case again for some aggression, seizing the moment from Canucks management. We'll do that up next here on Sportsnet 650.